Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David, and welcome to Throwback Thursday. We started this a week ago uh, after episode 200. I'm going to pick an episode from a couple of years back uh, that's relevant today, and today's could not be any more relevant. Leaf Trade just closes a $12.5 million Series B uh, and names Brian Ward CFO. You may remember Brian Ward was the CFO of Verano, was on the show uh just a couple months back. Fascinating development for Leaf Trade, which uh, of course is the biggest competitor to Leaf Link, uh, the other wholesale buyer seller platform. I think that it brings up a lot of questions about the future. You know, the the single state operators, the the limited license operators that have a lot of control in these states. I wonder how much they need leaf trade. I wonder how much they need a marketplace like that, or they just, they're totally vertically integrated. They're selling their own stuff. So interesting to see how that's going to develop as we see kind of a uh, many brand to retailer versus the same brand, the same retailer, and how that's going to develop over time. Uh, on the show, we had Michael Piermont back in 2020, back in the time of the height of Corona. Um, and, and we go deep, we go deep on what it's like to create software and uh, how buyers find sellers and the, the whole retail supply chain mechanism. Um, it was a great episode guys back then. And I'm so happy to bring it to you now and could not be a better fit after they have raised $12 million this week. Uh, I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Really nice to have you. Great to be here. Uh, so let's get started on an easy one. What is Leaf Trade? Leaf Trade is a platform that connects licensed uh, dispensaries with licensed cultivators and processors and makes it easier for them to buy uh, on the platform and makes it easier for the cultivators to fulfill their order and understand how to serve up their inventory. Mm -hmm. Got it. So wholesale kind of cannabis marketplace with some tools attached to this, right? Which one did you kind of start with? Did you start with the, the tool side or more the sort of marketplace side? Yeah, um, we like to refer to ourselves as a closed marketplace. Um, okay being that um, only the licensed providers um, in each market can connect. So when I think of a marketplace, I think of kind of more of an, an open experience. Uh -huh. um, and so- So you have to be invited to the platform. Is that yeah, the you have to be invited. And usually there's a customer relationship already. And this is the tool that they're using to execute the orders in the relationship. There's not as much discovery on our platform, but um, when we initially launched the platform, we did launch it as kind of an open marketplace where you could shop um, and compare products and prices mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. And the dynamics of the market and the supply and demand um, issues of early markets led us and our customers that asked that we made it more like a closed market fulfillment platform. And so we started with, you know, how do... Uh, dispensaries, how could we make it easier for them to not only see the products, um, but all the products metadata, um, and how could they order faster and easier? 
And so that's a big word in data science, metadata. Yep. Unpack that just a little bit, what that means. I think cannabis people will be enlightened. Yeah. So, um, you know, while pictures are really important um, and showing people, you know, how the product looks, I think, you know, especially in the cannabis space, it's very important to understand what that, you know, what is behind the picture? What are the different labs? Um, when, when was this harvested? All the kind of different, um, different data points that go along with the products. Um, and because, you know, this has really started out in most states as a medical program, it's very important to understand not only the labs, but um, the, the different uh, volume size, how it's packaged, um, the effects, all that kind of stuff. Any marketing data is all um, correlated with that one product. Mm -hmm. And we've even go so far as they can even change it by batch. So even if it's the same product packaged the same way, grown in the same environment, tested at the same lab, it may have slightly different results. And those results, you know, may have a higher potency. And so some cultivators may charge differently on potencies. And so our, our platform very early on in the experience kind of breaks through and allows the, the buyer to see all that information. And some buyers use it and some buyers buy because of it. And some buyers don't, but you know, it, it's a very easy, compact way for them to keep all that up front. What's the biggest pushback you hear from buyers? Why, why don't they want to use it? Um, you know, we really don't get pushback from buyers. Um, the buyers, um, most of the buyers are not using anything until we come into the market. And so they have to do whatever process the cultivators have set up. And sometimes it could be spreadsheets that are sent out on Sunday night with the different SKUs that are available. And that buyer then has to email or text what they want. And maybe they were watching the Grammys and they didn't get their text message until Monday and that inventory could be gone. And yep. so buyers are excited that they're, you know, what they see is what they get. And there's a platform on there and they can put their order and they can go back and forth with the order. Um, the seller has the ability to upsell them or introduce new products. So we don't get a lot of pushback from the buyer. Um, you know, there's the change of behavior where if a buyer is not using anything, you know, oh, you know, they could get a little nervous about technology, but we have really made the experience for the buyers easier. And, you know, we, we have um, really focused on the mobile ordering experience because mm -hmm. of the demand being so high in many of our markets a cultivator may send out their weekly menu, you know, in a, in a um, newsletter format with a link to leaf trade and the uh, buyer might be on their mobile phone and can log right in and make his, make his or her purchase. Yeah. That's amazing. So speed, awesome. speed to market and speed to order is very important. And so buyers like that. And how about from the vendor side? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Um, We've got kind of three different um, experiences when we bring on a new vendor. One, um, kind of our large scale customers that we've worked with in other markets. Um, those are, you know, the Veranos, the GTIs, the grassroots who want to use our platform in 
all, the, all of their markets for operational consistency. And for them, it's coordinating uh, rollout, getting their customers on. It's more of an implementation exercise. For the new customers who don't use anything, um, it's really an education on, hey, I know your sales might be good. Um, your product's great. So there, there, there isn't necessarily something that's torpedoing your business, but what you're doing is not scalable. And at 30 to 70 wholesale orders, it's doable. But when you start getting to 150 to 200 to 300 wholesale orders, you know, with 25 to 50 different SKUs and products, it becomes a nightmare and it becomes a slowdown in their business. And, you know, trying to, you know, use four or five different tools um, becomes very, very complicated. And, you know, they are excited about it, but it is a, you know, it is an onboarding and, you know, education on, you know, how, and we really look at ourselves as, you know, consultants when it comes to supply chain and process. And so we try to get in there, see what they're doing. Um, and we, we really try to, to implement leave trade where it can wrap around, you know, some of the things they're doing, the markets are different. And so not every process is the same for every market. So we have companies who use leave trade differently in different markets, even mm -hmm. if it's the same company. And so we really try to understand, you know, the limitations they have or, um, you know, the things that set them apart and, you know, just try to make sure that leave trade is, you know, keeping their process efficient and that their customers understand what inventory is for sale and then that they can fulfill it. And they have one single source of truth when it comes to wholesale um, and different people in the organization, whether that would be a sales rep focusing on that account, a CFO trying to, you know, close the month's books out, um, a packaging team member, you know, actually executing on an order. They all have different roles inside Leaf Trade, um, and they all enter Leaf Trade at different parts of the process. And so, getting everyone kind of on one platform really, you know, we've seen it bring the organization together and you mm. know allows them to be more efficient. Got it. So it sounds like your biggest competitor is Google Docs. <laughs> but um, aside from that, there are others that do this um, without any, mentioning any names. Uh, what, like, why are you guys better? What are you doing that's better? What's your competitive advantage? Yeah. Um, our competitive advantage is we built a enterprise software platform from the ground up. The way we architected the database the way that we built the experience, like we talked about before with the closed marketplace, we understand that this is not a plug and play market. One size does not fit all. And so our platform, whether it be a closed marketplace, which will help the cultivators you know, increase and expand their relationship um, with their buyer, if it's our different algorithms that they can use to control supply and show to the right people at the right time. Um, we've got, you know, three or four really good industry integrations and we didn't, you know, just slap together an API and pull data. We actually um, built out very comprehensive screens that allow um, the cultivator to manage 
inventory and approve what goes on to leave trade. And so, you know, in a nutshell, I think that we are building for, you know, what we think are large enterprise problems and we are trying to, you know, be the solution for that. Um, I, you know, again, nothing against the other players in the market. I think they've just taken more of a marketplace approach and it can be helpful for dispensaries to see who's out there um, and connect with different people. In the markets we focus on, um, that's not that big of an issue because there's not 6,000 dispensaries or even a thousand. Right. So finding who to buy from is not hard. <laughs> is not hard. And so that's why we've taken that approach. Right. Well, that makes sense. Um, and whatever you're doing, it's certainly working. I've got a couple stats here, almost 300 million in GMV. That's a big number. That's a yep. big number. Uh, and that, that's an annual number or where, where's that number coming from? <clears throat> or that's overall, that's total so far. Yeah. So that is um, our total number got up it. until I want to say um, September, uh, July of last year, we were only in three markets. Okay. And so the number, you know, is growing exponentially month over month, mm -hmm. um, almost 60%. Wow. And we've got probably what will be, you know, six to 10 of our larger customers <laughs> um, deploying in different markets in March and April. So while we're proud of the $300 million um, to date and you know, almost $40 million last month, there's, you know, we think this is just the beginning. What percentage of the industry does that make up? Well, it's, a, it's, it's interesting. It's a little, um, it's a little hard because the market, the, the biggest part of the market is still in California and Colorado. Um, for example, like, Illinois, which will probably end up being when it's all said and done, the third or fourth biggest state mm -hmm. is still very small compared to um, California. Yep. So I would say another way to look at it is the markets that we're in or the markets we've been in um, for more than 60 days, we have about 70 to 80% of the total GMB in those markets. Got it. Some, um, you know, some, some higher, some, you know, in the 65 to 70. And most of the time, the people who aren't using leave trade are, you know, the Google doc warriors. <laughs> um, well, aside from the fact that you're from Illinois, how conscious were you of this strategy of not going into California or Colorado or these big ones, or at least initially not going in? There, it's what we built our whole model on. Uh -huh. It's it, it, we think about it every day. We get three to five inbounds a day um, from Colorado or Oregon, Washington, California. Um, and we, you know, are excited to serve those markets when the market kind of figures out what's going on. And we probably will be in California just with our current customers and they'll Expanding. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are buying licenses, but we are, you know, focused on getting market share of these, you know, smaller markets that are controlled by larger players in multiple markets. 
Got it. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, you don't need me to tell you this, but I think it's very smart. I advise a number of companies and, and we're all focusing on other markets because California is such a clusterfuck today. Um, and yes, somebody will win, but it's very unclear who that will be. And lots of software companies have come and gone already, even in this short little period here. So kudos. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and that's my background is enterprise software, whether it be in the food space or. Yeah, this didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. Tell us a little bit about, um, I was a B2B SaaS guy once upon a time too. So. Yeah, I think, uh, I think everyone uh, does a little B2B SaaS here and there. And even if, even if it's not SaaS, people call it SaaS, right? So <laughs> yeah, so I uh, cut my teeth at a company called Go Health. Um, what ended up um, being a B2B insurance marketplace um, and a tech um, platform for insurance brokers to, you know, serve their clients better. Um, and we grew that, you know, pretty, pretty rapidly. Um, but again, like, you know, that was the first time in my career where I saw regulations and legislation, you know, directly affect our business, but also you know, the guys at Go Health, um, we figured out a way to use those rules and regulations to actually make a bigger business and um, took that to a company I founded called Amstats. And, you know, we wanted to do a similar roadmap that I had worked at at Go Health, but for the um, health and fitness industry for small to medium sized gyms where they could have their own um, platform and they could collect payments and scheduling and all their different trainers and employees could have their little uh, microsite and book um, appointments. We sold that business in 2015 to um, National Academy of Sports Medicine. They are the body that certifies trainers. Um, did a uh, did about a year and a half at a really cool company called EcoFit, and we put. Um, we put tools, um, supply chain tools, IOT sensors um, on fitness equipment to give mm -hmm. supply chain data, what, what treadmills were being used, what treadmills weren't, rotations. And that was kind of my first foray into supply chain. Uh, spent some time at a, a very, very cool startup called Fuda. Um, basically corporate lunch, you know, on yeah, demand. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. So I spent, uh, I'm pretty sure I sent you guys like maybe 5,000 cold emails. I used to do sales at a company called OnFleet, which is a logistics management platform. And so oh, okay. you yeah. were on all the lead lists. <laughs> yeah. Well, we moved. Yeah. So we, when I left, I, um, we started there, I think we were in three or four markets. Um, my, my role was, you know, really to lead up growth and sales and, um, you know, a lot of the markets were very different based on rules, regulations, um, supply, restaurants. And so that's really where, again, I kind of figured out these, you know, individual market dynamics. Um, spent some time at CareerBuilder on the Corp Dev M&A side running uh, large transactions, um, which was interesting. And um, then in, in the middle started a... Um, box service, subscription box service called Fan Chest mm -hmm. uh, for sports fans. And we sold that in December of 2019 to a, a lot of exits. Yeah, a few exits. Um, but, you know, you'd think like I would 
um, take a break. But I just think that um, it just gives you more firepower, ammunition, um, a little, more opportunities, a little, right? Yeah, more opportunities. But also, you look at things differently, and it's easier to recognize problems. Uh, okay, so you're a successful software founder. Um, why this industry? I mean, you know, cannabis is such a clusterfuck. And you could have done anything you wanted, man. Why this? Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I think there's two reasons. And I think everyone in the cannabis space um, has some kind of personal reason why they're joining the space. And um, I think most people look at the actual revenue or, you know, business opportunity. Um, for me, you know, I've never been like a huge drinker. I, you know, I'm not opposed to it. Um, but it's always been interesting for, for me to watch kind of this, the different social cues um, people give you, you know, drinking versus cannabis. And I always, you know, kind of told people, I was like, there is no medical benefits for drinking alcohol. Right? <laughs> and, and please, like, Show me the research where yeah, drinking challenge wine. Challenge me, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's that like one research study where it says if you drink a glass of wine, um, you know, it prevents heart attacks. It's like, I'm sure there's something else you could do that would have the same effect. But, you know, for I me, like it's eat always, fruit. <laughs> exactly. Um, baby aspirin works too, right? And I, and, and I, like, uh, I like that it is really an organic product. Um, and while, you know, they're finding cool ways to introduce it, whether that be chocolate or creams, um, you know, I really started looking at it from both the social side um, and seeing the walls come down and seeing, you know, people who are in, you know, SaaS marketing space and, you know, SaaS sales space kind of gravitate to these new roles yep. and use their skill set. And so, you know, I, like any uh, good entrepreneur, I started really um, researching the market, um, both the West Coast and these, you know, very highly regulated markets, and um, you know, met met early Leaf Trade team, you know, when there was uh, one intern and James, and he had already had this amazing product, and he had real users and real companies, but there, you know, we didn't necessarily have our go-to-market outside of Illinois and you know, really planned out and, you know, how were we going to, you know, build a revenue model that could support innovating on the tech side and, you know, with our powers combined, that being kind of my strong suit and um, James um, Yee, you know, being very, very focused in the customer experience from an operation and technical product aside, it was just a really, really good fit. And, um, you know, we kind of jumped in pretty quick together and haven't looked back. So because you become, uh, you come from a software background, I want to talk about like what's different about sort of sales now that you're in the cannabis industry, even though you guys are ancillary versus the sales cycle and technique. And um, I mean, first of all, there's very little sort of viral loop, right? You can't spend a lot of money in Google and Facebook and all the other places where people spend money to, to get software leads. How have you compensated for that? And yeah, I mean, it's, it was a stark difference for me when, when yeah. I first came up. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think you have to go old school. 
you have to talk to customers. You have to understand their problems because there's not 10,000 customers knocking on the door. You know, at FUDA, we could pull a list of all the buildings and all the companies um, and we could go after them and, you know, if X percentage convert and, you you know, back into a model. Yep. Um, like you said, you know, I can't spend, you know, a million dollars on marketing if I wanted to. I mean, right. I'm sure, you know. You could I'm, waste it, but yeah. 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 But good point. I couldn't get the return, um, whereas you could in other SaaS or high growth companies. And so it's forced us to really understand what's working in the industry from a leave trade perspective, building real organic content around mm-hmm. that um, and sharing it with customers. We do a lot of, you know, customer focused events on, you know, whether it's leave trade or, another platform, how you should be looking at your business, the areas that you can uh, focus on to consolidate um, maybe people or other products. That way, you know, you can focus on margin and making sure, you know, the profit is, is where your investors or management team need. And so, you know, if anything, it's like kind of made us really just hunker down and do things, you know, the way that people, um, you know, marketed and sold before you just dumped in money to Facebook and and Google all the time. And, um, while in the beginning it's hard to build that because it's, you know, it's, it's very organic and you can't just, you know, step on the gas. It, it, um, makes us kind of a 360 company and really getting in deep with our customers. Yeah. Well, you touched on my next question there, which is, you know, venture capitalists are very comfortable with the SaaS model because there's only a few levers that really matter. Um, But in your business, it's quite a bit different. And I wonder how did that fundraising discussion go? Because on the one hand, it must open a lot of doors. Hey, we're ancillary, we're SaaS, but you definitely don't have the same kind of growth curve that a traditional tech business would. Tell me about that process a little bit and sort of explaining what you just explained to me. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've raised money at, I think every company I've worked at. um, And it's different, you know, depending on the type of company, as well as the stage they're in, as well as the stage the economy's in. Um, And I think really early, I I understood that people like to invest or want to invest in cannabis because you can't, you know, go online or turn on the news or, you know, go on social media without seeing, you know, what's happening all over the country. It's now, you know, in our presidential election. I mean, it's a, you know, it, it, it is not happening. It's happened. Yep. Um, And so, you know, for me, um, when we started uh, pitching early investors, it was really important to educate them on the different market dynamics, right? Not what these products could do to the consumers, but the demand, the supply chain holes, the different licensing um, by markets, how that affects our product, our strategy, like we talked about before, you know, focusing on these highly regulated markets and, you know, how we then grow our product and platform, you know, within the organization and say, okay, well, you've got X, Y, Z problems. We'll add a tech solution um, inside Leaf Trade and we'll handle that. Um, and so, you know, really educating the, um, 
the the potential investors was was you know kind of a priority from day one and you know this is this is the the nature of venture investors is they get really smart on or they try to get really smart on try new, try is yeah. the right word <laughs> um, we're lucky we have good backers and they um, and they did get really smart and some of them had relevant cannabis experience um, so they you know it was a little easier to get this group together but um, that's kind of their job is figure out okay how do the market dynamics or new markets or regulations impact for better or worse this platform and um, you know once we really kind of focus in that direction then they understand our strategy and they understand the financial model and kind of you know the the different entry points so you closed around in december um how long what's that runway give you um and kind of what do you even in general terms what do you hope to accomplish in that time period with that money yeah so um that was 18 months of capital, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, the number that you've, you know, conservatively that you've got to give yourself. Um, you know, typically, you know, I tell people it takes anywhere from six to nine months to raise around. Um, if you've done it before, you know, most likely it could be in the three to six months. So if you raise 18 months of capital, that gives you a full year before you should really have to worry about capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we really wanted to do is a, you know, really build out, build out our tech team, um, our database and infrastructure team, um, not for, you know, moving things forward, you know, at 20 or 30 miles an hour, we wanted to, you know, make some big jumps and, you know, we've got a really, really good innovative team that, you know, is ahead of schedule, um, which I've never seen in any of the companies I've ever worked. I've never seen, a tech team deliver features and um, stories faster than mm-hmm. expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the next part was, you know, now that we had kind of figured out our story um, and figured out, you know, what we meant to people in the market and, you know, how people viewed us, we were, um, the next step would be build out our sales and marketing channel and, and tell that story. Um, as well as, you know, some hemp and payment initiatives. So really it's, you know, we had kind of the wedge product in there and we had the right strategy and it was just to bring in the resources to execute um, moving forward. Um, it sounds incredibly uh, well organized, like a great strategy, which sometimes is a novelty in this industry, even at this more advanced position. Um, one thing that you kind of have very little control over, but really impacts everybody in the cannabis industry is the continued use of the black market, or I, I sometimes say duty-free market. Um, but uh, what do we do? I, I kind of feel like there's one strategy here where marketplaces actually hold the keys. Like if you can only get the, that shit at that price on leaf trade, just for example, like you sort of do lock the black market out in a way. Do you agree with that sort of strategy or furthermore, what should we do about this black market problem in general? Yeah. So you picked one topic that I may not be the best person to ask only because we, our strategy is focusing on the states that 
you know, ju just in general, the black market is just getting pushed down because, you know, dispensable dispensaries have good products. They're accessible. And, you know, but that's amazing too. What you're saying is that in Chicago, it's not as big of a problem. Is that? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's obviously the adjustment, right? Like, um, there's, there's rec users who have been buying off the black market for, you know, three, five, 10, 15 years. And now a dispensary opened up and, you know, they're like, ah, I don't need to do that. And, you know, then they get their card or it becomes, um, legal and they, you know, enter in and they see the experience and, you know, the, the quality. Um, so we've definitely seen, you know, from what I could tell, we've definitely seen the black market go down in, in some of these markets. That's great. I, I think the part that can be more concerning for the industry, and I know California is dealing with this, is you've got a lot of legal license holders in California that are growing it legally, but selling it illegally. Yep. And I know you've got a ton of that going on in Michigan and Oregon and Washington, and it messes the price up. It, you know, it's very tough to chop up the market when you've got people selling, um, you've got the, the legal people who appear legal, but they're not following the rules. And so the money's not going back into the, you know, the economy, it's not being taxed and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think, you know, the way that, you know, the, the East coast states East of Colorado have rolled it out have given um, the markets a chance to say, okay, like if you are a grower here, you know, everything goes through, the barrier to entry is bigger um, and it makes it easier for them to raise capital, it makes it easier for them to open nicer dispensaries and get better products. And, you know, when you look at the likes of, you know, GTI and Grassroots and Cresco and Verano, you know, they've got really, really, really high quality products mm -hmm. and different innovative products and the experience is good and people like that, you know, people like good products and a good experience. And I think it's, you know, they've proven that that's the way to approach it. But I think that growing it legally and selling it illegally is just, that's the torpedo in, in these markets. And I think that is directly connected with the number of licenses on the growth mm -hmm. side. I think that you can look at the markets that have, you know, more than 25 or 30 cultivation or processor licenses. They're the ones that are having black market issues. Right. So, right. Know, the ones that are in the below 50, um, things are pretty tight. Yeah. I mean, it's just really interesting discussion because obviously it's not the consumer's fault. Correct. You know, yeah. They, you know, uh, we're dumb. Consumers, great weed. Yeah. That's all. No. Right. They want, they want, um, cheap weed or new cool products. They don't want more expensive. You know, I, I don't want to buy something that I could buy from, you know, a guy off the street that, you know, at the dispensary is just $15 more. Like that doesn't do anything, but if the product is competitive, better, they do a great job on educating you what types of products you should be using for, you know, whether it's anxiety or, you know, pain, there's different types of products they introduce you to, whether that be, you know, creams or oils, you know, that's where I think these, you know, newer emerging markets are doing a really, really, really good job. Well, they are doing a really good job and those categories are doing well legally in California. Yep. Um, you know, the diversity, all of that is important, especially when you talk about seniors or other, other demographics. Um, but in terms of just flower, 
like you said, the same flower that came from the same cultivator. In California right now, it's about half in the black market what it is in the dispenser. Um, and a lot of that has to do with taxes. They raised the taxes again this year. Um, and it's a little bit insane, but kind of glad to hear that it's not so insane uh, where you are and that legal is, is sort of winning. That's, um, that's encouraging. That's encouraging to hear. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit here and talk about sort of you and who you are behind, uh, behind the business, man, behind the software. Um, how has your personal relationship with cannabis changed uh, as a result of having this business? Um, not as much as I thought. I'll be honest. Like I, you know, was a, was a rec user before and I'm a rec user now. I think my, um, my knowledge of the different products um, and the, you know, the, the different um, chemistry behind the products, different types of products, different uses, um, the medical uses, and the appreciation for the medical use has gone from, you know, one to 10. Um, but, you know, I always get the, I always get the, uh, the ask when, you know, people maybe I knew from other industries, you know, and I tell them what I'm doing now or they hear about it and they say, you know, do you guys sit around and um, you know, just <laughs> smoke, all yeah. smoke all day? And it's like, no, I don't. We are in CRMs and spreadsheets and. It's like asking uh, if somebody at the, yeah. the winery is hammered all day. You know? Yeah. I was like, you know, maybe one day I'll, you know, be able to sleep past eight o'clock. But right. um, I think it's, you know, for me, it's more of an appreciation for kind of the wide net and the multiple uses uh -huh. uh, people have. And it's, as I said, it's, you know, everyone deals with life differently, whether that's, you know, pain, um, whether that's um, anxiety or some of the issues, or like I said, you know, you've got a lot of people um, who instead of having a glass of Chardonnay at night um, to wind down after work are eating a piece of chocolate mm -hmm. and, you know, long-term that's healthier. And I, you know, I think for me being able to have, you know, real conversations um, with people about cannabis without them kind of looking down on you is, has been something that's been really exciting for me, even, you know, family members, um, you know, and I think the stigma is starting to go away and um, I'm excited to kind of help lead that. I mean, it's, it's a total team effort from the industry, but I like being, you know, even if I'm a small part of it, I like being a part of that. Mm -hmm. I think that's as good a place to start to wrap up as any. Uh, it's been so great to have you. Thank you for being open and honest and congrats on all your success so far. How can we help you? How can the audience help you? Are you hiring for anything or something? Yeah, you, you know, we, uh, we're always hiring. We're hiring salespeople. We're hiring engineers. Um, you know, feel free to reach out to me, um, whether you're looking for a job or you know, I, I love talking to people about the industry. We're always looking for smart, energetic people. Um, and my email is michael at leaftrade.com. So pretty easy. And, you know, if you're a, a cultivator or a dispensary and you're interested in leaf trade, you know, great. If you're just interested um, in, you know, learning or you know, hearing about different um, things that are going on, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to help there too. Well, thanks again, Michael. It's been great. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely.